Welcome back to the podcast, episode number 48. Today we have Mr. Alex Zinos. He is the executive chef of Nosimo's restaurant at the Greek Club. It's an iconic place and he has a fantastic story. This guy was christened at the Greek Club and now he's back as executive chef. Great story. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Chef Notepad, a tool, a must-have tool in the kitchen. Ease the store and cost all your recipes so that you can focus on the food. It is awesome. Get into that Chef Notepad. Also brought to you by the Suncoast Fresh ordering app. You can order from wherever, whenever. You can access weekly specials. You can keep all your invoices in one location. Design your own pantry lid. This is a must-have if you're a customer of Suncoast Fresh. Check that out at the website, suncoastfresh.com.au. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being uh, on the on the on the gig. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, mate, you've uh, you've uh, done a full circle, haven't you? Weren't you? Weren't you? You started yeah. in the Greek club, and now you're back in the Greek club. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Huh? Yeah, so obviously Brisbane born and uh, born and bred, and um, christened here at the Greek club. Christened and, uh, here. Yeah, <laughs> you're christened at your workplace. <laughs> Don't ask me too much about that because I can't remember the detail. But yeah, it's a bit I'm weird. pretty sure there's some water on the head. Yeah, a little bit of up and down that's from it. the guy. Yeah, yeah, great. Wow. So, um, you know, what brings you back? Yeah. So um, uh, I uh, I started cooking here in Brisbane actually um, uh, about 10, 10 years ago now. Um, I was doing a university degree, but I was just too interested in food, so started my apprenticeship here at Isis Brasserie years and years ago um, under Jason Pepler, a really good, really good chef and, and, and mentor of mine at the start. And um, after that, I decided I wanted to sort of um, discover my heritage a bit more and, and trek down on a little pilgrimage to Greece and live there for a couple of years. So, so, so you, your parents are Greek? My father's Greek. Yep, okay, um, hence so, the name. Yeah, hence the name. Actually, it was funny, I met a, um, had a meeting here the other day and um, uh, one of the gentlemen here, Chris Kazonis, um, knew my grandfather, who I only knew as a young boy, but yeah. he knew my grandfather and was able to fill me in on, on, on his character and how he was, so it was, it was quite, quite, quite interesting to meet someone that knew him and dealt with him, so yeah. Yeah, I must admit, when you when you walk into into here, it's it's very Greek, and um, you just the ambient is, is beautiful in the restaurant. Like, yeah, they, no. they've done a really good job. It's of, a really nice space, and yeah. we're just um, I think that's the whole reason. Now, I've just come a little bit more traditional with the food, and really yeah. trying to match that decor with the food, and yeah, yeah. and do something like uh, something well, special. So, so Brizzy born and bred. Yep. What, where else did you work in Brizzy? Uh, so I worked at Isis Brasserie, did my apprenticeship there. Um, I did a little stint at LaRouche for a few months, LaRouche yep. in the, in the oh, valley, the doing boys. some little snacky meze, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, yeah, from there, travelled overseas and went to Greece, learned about the language, met a lot of my family, um, learned about the food, worked at Funky Gourmet, so that was, a, that was a very big... At the time, it was just up and coming when I first started working there, but now it's quite well-renowned and, and uh, one of the top restaurants in Athens, yeah. So. Tell me some stories about Athens. Tell me about Greece. Let us, oh, man. Let us bath <laughs> in this beautiful thing we, uh, we call Greece. So Athens is a very uh, very cultural city and very multicultural. Um, really? So when we arrived there, we didn't, um, we didn't know a lot about the city, but we knew we wanted to live there and work there. Um, and uh, I lived with my uncle um, for a couple of months while we found somewhere to rent. And uh, we lived in uh, Neonia, northern part of Athens. Um, we, we slept in Islandrian, which was interesting. <laughs> uh, well, they looked after us really well. Greek hospitality is like no other, you know. They said, oh, what do you want for breakfast? I said, oh, just a bit of toast and a coffee. A bit of toast for a Greek is three 
cheese, tomato, and ham toasted sandwiches. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so that in Greek toast is like a toasted sandwich. So yeah, yeah. Um, so that was good. And then after that, we went and um, we found a place to live in an area called Patissia. It was a big ghetto style in Athens. So that was a big eye opener for us. Um, it was a good place, like fur furnished place, but there's lots of, um, you know, very multicultural, lots of Ukrainians, Albanians, Bulgarians, Africans, um, very, yeah, mul um, very diverse area we lived in. And yeah, it was, it was really interesting. We didn't have a washing machine. Um, so I was washing all my, my chef whites in a, in a bathtub, but um, <laughs> by hand, yeah, like yeah, yeah. smashing them against the bath. That um, makes you yeah. appreciate a clean uniform. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it makes you definitely appreciate it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was interesting times. I mean, yeah, I just remember um, there's a lot of crime in the area. We used to wake up and there'd be no hot water, no electricity, and they'd actually strip the copper piping from underneath underneath the house. To <laughs> Someone sell. stole so, the hot yeah. water, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, basically, <laughs> it happened quite regularly. But um, so it's not all white and blue buildings on the water with beautiful I fish. Think definitely and, not. If you yeah. bring there, you'll get it a bit more. Um, yeah. I think people love the glitz and glam of Greece and the islands, but I think if you go to live there, you get the full experience. It's a lot different to touring there and traveling. I think, yeah. yeah. Living there, even just going to the post office takes you a whole day, you know, lining up and yeah, it's a w weird systems there. I think, yeah, that's where the economy started um, having that downturn. Think, Who yeah. inspired you there? Um, Was there a particular nonna or a person or, you know? Um, not really. I think my AR inspired me when I tasted her food and tried her food. And I think I wanted, when I wanted to become a chef, I think that needed meaning for me. I didn't want to just cook food because I liked food. Mm. I think it needed to have a bit of depth and cultural background. And that's why I wanted to sort of do that, um, do that tour of Greece. And I think um, my first employers there at Funky Gourmet, they were quite inspirational because what I did when I worked there, I just said, oh, where do I want to work? I don't really know the restaurants. So I grabbed a magazine, sort of like the uh, gourmet traveler of Greece and worked through the top 10 restaurants, traveled around, handed my CV in, and only one restaurant sort of replied to me. And I got a job with them and that was Nikos Roussos and um, Georgiana Hiliadaki. So they're quite renowned in Greece now and they were, they were quite inspirational. They were doing cutting edge food um, at that time. And I was really into, really into molecular and fine dining and all that sort of thing. So. That's where I started out and they were really inspirational. I enjoyed, you know, going to the kitchen, starting at two o'clock, preparing everything fresh every day, which is, you know, a little bit unheard of now, but preparing everything fresh every day for that day. And it was sort of 2 p.m. until 2 a.m. Because, you know, in Europe, people don't eat out until 8 o'clock and we'd do the second sitting at, you know, 11 o'clock at night, midnight. So there'd be late starts, late finishes. Yeah, everyone, um, you would like it, Scarlett. Everyone sleeps in at yeah. 9 o'clock or it's, 10 o'clock. It's it. Bruising's a little bit different to that. But that was the thing. I used to work late, wake up late, and then, you know, bash my whites on the bathtub and get them cleaned for the next day. So that was <laughs> that was it. No, nah, but we had good town time there, like especially during the summer. So in Athens sort of being the main city, everyone went away in the summer to the islands. So we'd do little pop-ups on islands and then have – long stints of breaks where we got to travel around island to island. We had a good time. So really hold good. up, pop-ups on island. So you'd cater on an island? Yeah, so they'd create a restaurant on an island. We'd go there on the summer. We'd do our menu for, you know, for, for, for customers. And um, that'd be sort of um, two months at a time. Um, mm. And then you'd have a month holiday where you do whatever you want. So it's a very different lifestyle. Did you, uh, what were the little, uh, mm. what were the little snacks that you would have had getting around on your way to and from work? Was there anything like that? Oh man, that? I used to the go to, place down yeah, the road, yeah. So near me, so Patissi was a local area, rough, pretty rough area, but 
you find a lot of good souvlaki there. So some mornings when I'd go to work, I'd probably leave at 11 o'clock sometimes to do a little bit of tour around the work area. I'd get the um, first cut of chicken off the spit um, <laughs> off the gyros in my souvlaki. And, yeah. you know, souvlaki's era like a euro 80. So, you know, $2.50 for a, you know, beautiful fresh bread, fresh cut meat, marinated meat, fresh vegetables. I mean, I used to smash them for breakfast quite often and it was really good. <laughs> yeah. Really good. We, yeah, it was really good. Yeah. Food's different there, man. Like, you know. Tell me about the vegetables over there. Yeah, the vegetables. I think a Greek salad um, in Greece is like no other. Because I think, you know, the Mediterranean soil, the Mediterranean sun, produce grown slowly and properly. The tomatoes are sweet. Everything's sort of really on point. You can't, I don't know, you can't match it. You can't explain it until I think you've been there I think they've just got that growing depth, generations and generations and generations. And they... They, they, they also grow up and they also eat it. There's nothing worse than a farmer who doesn't eat what he grows. Yeah, yeah. man, exactly. So, but that's that's deep in the Greek culture yeah. is that you grow it to eat it. But, you know, a lot of times we get lost in that in this modern world. You're exactly right. But, yeah, so now we're, we're down to like only a few that actually, mm. you know, can do it to make sure it's yeah. edible and not just for a supermarket. Yeah. I think our lifestyles are go, go, go. So we need anything at a drop of a hat as fast as possible. So... A lot of the food we want, we want oranges all year round, but you know, there's high high food miles on oranges, you know? Yeah. They travel from America, how much, half the year, more than half the yeah. year. Um, but yeah, that's the thing in Greece, everything, like the Ikaria blue zone diet, you know, they talk about this, these areas of the world where people have longevity, like live long lives. Yeah. Ikaria is one of them, it's because they eat from the land, Yeah, you know? They so, eat everything off the land, pulses from the land, tomatoes fresh from the sea, and that's that's how they have long, long prosperous lives so loads of olive oil huh loads yeah bathing in it (laughs) (laughs) so that is a really good point like Mm. the the seasonality um of how they would have lived like when the fish were running or whether the tomatoes were in season but they and they would whether is there lots of picoline and fermenting and or anything like that in the in over there that you saw a lot of when they took advantage of the abundance of the season yeah, and then, a good question yeah. um yeah definitely there's a lot of pickling i think feta cheese is a classic one you know yeah yeah okay. um yeah like we we uh, my mum was telling me last night when we went there when i was quite young um she just remembers in one of the villages where we were from ifaki um just walking past we we stayed somewhere up on a hill and you had to walk down to the water and on your way down you'd see all the houses with you know all their growing and Great vines, and a lot of them would have big tubs of feta just sitting outside under the shade. So, I mean, that's a that's a classic one of preserving about feta that. cheese. Tell me about that feta making process because I don't know about it. Tell me, how does that work? I don't know a lot, but there's a lot of obviously um, cultures within the cheese, and <laughs> yeah, then it's yeah. heavily brined. But yeah, um, it'll be it's interesting to see the differences in Greek feta, Bulgarian feta, Romanian, Danish, um, Persian. Yeah, um, yeah. Sort of the Persian feta is a very quick one, which is marinated and it's quite soft. Um, but I think Greek, the Greek feta cheese is obviously made from a specific milk and they're matured, so it's quite crumbly, a lot drier, but also creamy. Yeah. <clears throat> Tell yeah. me about your favourite olives. Um, I like Mount Zero olives, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I gave them a, um, <laughs> I'm giving them a good little plug there. I yeah. like the Mount Zero olives. They're probably the best olives you can get in Australia. Yeah, yeah great. Yeah. Do, do you have their wild mix? I have had the wild mix, yeah. yeah. Like they've got a, lot, a couple of Spanish varieties, Gordal, Burkina. They're really nice. Yeah, um, right. yeah. 
But even just the Aussie Kalamatas, I mean, we're using those in our Greek salad now. Yeah, okay. Um, pitted Aussie Kalamatas. Do um, the management know about that, using an Aussie product? Come on. Nah, I'm better, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I think you need to do that, though. Like we're, yeah, we're, yeah. we're speaking about seasonality. I mean, yeah. you need to use local produce. Obviously, you can use a scattering of Greek products, which, which are nicer, like oregano. Greek oregano is completely different to stuff you would get here in the supermarket, you know? Yeah. It's a lot more pungent, finer. Crumblier. Do you um, buy that dried stuff? That yeah, the yeah. dried on the stalk. Yeah, yeah, you can. It's something different. It's good for finishing. Yeah, yeah. I, I crumble that yeah, stuff yeah, over yeah, the top yeah. of my pizza. It comes yeah, with like it. Thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We put it on uh, our Italian style pizza, but it's great yeah. sort of uh, oregano. Yeah. So you're over there. You're absorbing all the beautiful culture exactly. and getting the thing. What? 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 How long were you there for? A couple of years. Yeah. We're there for two years. What made you come on? Um, well, I was there with my fiance at the time, who I'm married to now. But she, we were only actually meant to be there for um, a small period of time. Yeah. Because I had a Greek passport, but my wife just didn't because she's Australian. Um, so it was getting. She had a job there with um, a quite wealthy family in Athens, um, caring for their child. Um, but yeah, we couldn't stay there, so we, we just had to go. It was just sort of a timing thing, and. Um, that, we, we also think that's what puts you back a bit in your career because we were driving my career, okay? I'm learning and absorbing. But my wife, that's two years off her career where she could have been working and learning in her own space. Yeah. So we just thought it was time um, and we came back. We travelled a bit around Europe. We went to San Sebastian, Spain, visited my uncle in Hong Kong. So we did a bit of a tour on the way back. And then when I came back, I went straight to, um, to Melbourne because I wanted to, you know, stay with Greek food and mm. Greek hospitality. And that was sort of a, the place at the time. So I went and worked for Colin Barris there in the made establishment, yeah. Oh, righty, yeah. So um, now I think that's the biggest lot of Greek people outside of Greece, isn't yeah, it, Melbourne? Exactly. Biggest, yeah, biggest Greek population, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so you would have had to, um, you know, come back and, and play. So what was it like working for Mr. Colin Barris? Yeah, really good. I think um, that, uh, at the time when I started, the, the business was very busy. They had a lot of restaurants and a lot of things happening, a lot of moving parts, and I stepped into the sous chef role at the press club. Um, and that was like a restaurant trying to do fine dining, doing fine dining, but it was 120, 130 seats. So um, imagine trying to do fine dining when on a Saturday night you're doing 250 covers, covers. It was a real beast. And I'd come from a restaurant that was doing 30 covers um, and we're really overseeing and checking everything you do. And when I went to the press club, it was like, go, 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 go. We've, we've given you the job, learn. It was thrown into the deep end, end and um, look, I really enjoyed it. I picked up a lot about um, sort of seasonality and uh, uh, Greek, um, I wouldn't say fusion, but tweaks on, on Greek food, so modern Greek food from George and did a lot of touring and traveling with him and yeah, worked in all the restaurants there. So um, <clears throat> got a glimpse into modern tavernas, um, the fine dining side in the press club. I stepped up to head chef there as well. Um, and uh, yeah, sort of helped around the whole group there um, for, for about six or seven years. So He's a good a man, good yeah. He's a good man. Good man. He got yeah. really hard done by, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I think, you know, possibly the um, the hospitality industry was his undoing in the end and having sort of that, that big name. A um, little bit of a tall poppy syndrome, I think, cut down. And no, that's Australian. Rightfully so. Look, the, these things happen, but I think it happened to him over and over again. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that was the sort of problem. And then, Well, I hear lots of good stories about him, like people yeah. have worked in the kitchen with him, you know, always coming up, making sure that you introduce yourself to the new people. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, very friendly, very um, very bouncy personality and yeah. and um, really good to have in the kitchen, really good. Yeah, and what was the best thing you took out of working from there, working there? Um, 
You got the any of these secret on... recipes, mate? Did you steal yeah, any? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to share them? No, no. I think, um, look, I think, I think the biggest eye opener for me was Hellenic Republic. I think that ten years ago, when they first opened in Brunswick, I think that was cutting edge Taverna food. Mm. The Tarama Salata was like no other, and I saw how to produce that cost efficiently and effectively in big, big quantities because they were doing quite big numbers there and turning over a lot of produce and. I saw that sort of work really, really efficiently. And I think that was the biggest thing I took out of it because mm. um, that's what I said to you. I had a quick chat to you yesterday. It's like, you know, if you open a fine dining restaurant, um, it's very difficult to turn profit from what, from my experience, mm. you can, but it's more difficult to turn profit than if you're in a high volume restaurant, you know, doing clean, um, clean food where you should, when you really highlight in the produce and there's l- little labor. Mm. I think that's where, you know, um, operating restaurant can, you can really benefit from mm. when those, yeah, those, those sort of bulk items produced efficiently um, through low labour. And, yeah, I think, yeah, it's good. Greek food lends itself to that as well. So, mm. so given all, all the experiences you had down there, how do you balance, um, you know, work-life balance, balance your crew here mm. so they're not burnt out? Like, yeah. things have changed since, you know, yeah, exactly. well, I was a boy, that's for sure. And, um, you know, like, chefs used to work even harder than probably what they do yeah, now yeah. is like a part of the culture almost that you yes. come in, you did your eight hours and, but I felt like for me, it was like, if you want to stay back, you were still learning. So yes. I've heard other people say, well, yeah. if you're an artist, which is sort of a chef is, so there's labor and then there's the learning, which is sort of the artist side of things. Yes. And if I'm a painter and I want to continue painting that day, cause I feel the urge to make baklava or make something that I want to learn about, then you know, it sort of becomes a grey area where I want to learn this, so I'm happy to stay back. But I, yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. It's a, it's a bit it's of a difficult of, one, isn't it? Yeah, I think, um, yeah. So obviously, like I, as a manager, I sort of respect people's work-life balance, and I want that myself. Um, but to the same extent, you're right. You you want to see um, a certain skill level from the chefs, from young chefs. Um, and if they're starting out as an apprentice, that's fine. They obviously don't have that skill level, but you need to have that grounded passion. And I think. The passion comes with wanting to stay back, wanting to come in a bit early because you know your section's not quite prepared enough for that day mm. or the next day. There's one or two jobs which you think you may not be able to complete in your seven-hour or eight-hour shift, you know. You need a bit of that passion and a bit of that drive um, from young chefs and chefs in general. Mm. I think that's something that I showed as a young chef. I really I wanted to go in early. I wanted to be there. I wanted to see things. I wanted to learn things. Mm. I think that's something I haven't seen recently. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying it's not around. Mm. I'm just saying that, yeah, there's definitely a lack of that. And, um, yeah, I think COVID's probably had a fair crack of that because obviously we had a lot of um, international chefs and, and students here learning and, and putting in their time as well. So they've obviously not been able to travel here or stay here. So that's been a big issue. But, mm. yeah, there's definitely passion and skill shortages is probably a big issue at the moment. Mm. But um, balancing that with work life is, yeah, is another thing, I think. Yeah. So. What's changed at the Greek club since you got back? Back to um, your hometown, back to the place you were christened yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. You've been to, you've been everywhere. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Where, when I lived here and I came to the Greek club, I didn't actually pay attention much to the operation and the restaurant here. Uh, but now having been employed here, um, <clears throat> still as a consultant, chef in residence, I sort of realised that, um, you know, there's more to it. There's a lot of depth in the restaurant. They, I think they transformed this three or four years ago um, into Nostomo. Um, so they've had a few chefs come through and they've had a, you know, a sort of a changing of the guard and a few different um, menus. But I think, yeah, 
now just looking to knuckle down and try and get a bit of consistency and fluidity through it. And um, yeah, I think you know, as I said to you before, I think the the Greek food scene in Brisbane is really booming at the moment. I think Nostomo opened three or four years ago, so that was before everything started to pop up now. So mm. I think there's an opportunity here, and we, yeah. <clears throat> just like that, people need to know that the Greek club's always open. Yeah, always I think I think there is a little bit of a. Uh, it's like it's like oh, well, you've got to be Greek to come here, almost. You yeah, know? like I really do believe there are that. a lot of Greeks that come yeah, here, but you but, definitely don't have to be Greek. Yeah, yeah. That, and they must come here. <laughs> but that, that is almost a perception. It's like if I, I've only been here a couple of times with Greek mates, you know, thinking that I, you know. But now, obviously, I know in the last sort of six months. But um, yeah, it's 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 a funny sort of thing because it's so close to South Bank. You know, you're often in South Bank, and you know, there's great places in South Bank. But um, you know, if you're looking for Greek, you know, it's literally a stone throw away from South Bank. It's it's like three dollars fifty in a cab or buddy or a walk. Yeah, you know, exactly. it's it's so close. It's um, and to come and and to be welcomed into this beautiful place with all this culture. It, yeah, you know, I think that's what we're all looking for. If if we're ever looking for food, we sort of want to know go to the place where the where the locals go. And if every Greek is coming here, then yeah, might, exactly. you must be uh, doing something right. You yeah. said to me yesterday when we had a chat about the simplistic. Of, of the food, but yes. done well and executed well. Like, you know, that, that's that's definitely what's what's going on here, yeah? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think that's what, um, well, you, you should come here and check out the balcony early afternoon when we first opened mm. and there's still a bit of sunlight. It's actually a really nice vista out looking there. Yeah. And that was some beautiful, um, beautiful in-season tomatoes, you know? Yeah. Some local capers or, um, you know, a glass of Greek wine and some a nice dip. I mean, it's, you can't beat that. Yeah. It's something that you can't replicate at home, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's the key, you know, letting the, the produce shine and, and um, putting putting together plates that are quite simple, yeah. Well, you're very qualified to do it. Like, you know, you, you, you have to be, I think people are going to have to, you know, get out of here uh, if they yeah. haven't and, um, and, and check it out. Um, yeah, I don't know what's here. I'll be walking distance. <laughs> but that's another thing though, like saying to just take the produce and preparing it simply, you can tell the chef that. But I think that's something I learned from George, that you can tell someone that and they tell them to do it. But you need a lot of experience for that to come across onto the plate and have a story and a theme behind it, you know? Yeah. Um, and understand produce. I think that's what the, yeah. Understanding produce is probably a big thing I took away from working with with George and made establishment. Understanding the produce itself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just watched him when he was it's a master chef, watched him eat. He's like... He ate so intensely, <laughs> yeah, he yeah. almost probably hates that, but, yeah. um, you know, like he really got into the flavour, you know. Um, how do you continue to get, like, because it, it is, um, you know, I know it's not simple, but it's it's simplistic, beautiful food, like yes. you said. How does that inspiration keep coming, yes. you know, now? Um, I as, think as it, get, it helped that I worked in a lot of places overseas because mm. I got to see more than produce that Brisbane has, mm. more than produce that Melbourne has, more than produce that Australia has. I got to see produce on a large scale, different suppliers, growers and different lines and, and sort of um, and, and providors and things like that, especially in London. I think the food scene in London is just absolutely cranking and the amount of providors, you used to just get people... I worked in a, rest a group there, Modern Greek Food Group, and um, they had a restaurant, Opso, in Marlebone. The amount of people that you got coming through trying to sell you things was insane. <laughs> I'd always be interested and open. I want to see produce and what they have to offer. Yeah, good. So I think that, I think that having seen a lot over the in the world, I think that's sort of the experience. And, and yeah. yeah, yeah. What What about like the uh, the subjects that are getting around at the moment? Um, 
you know, like food waste, you know, is there, or composting and plastic free. Yeah. Is that something that, that challenges you? Is that, that's sort of to do with renewable energy, I think. Yeah, yeah. that's something huge. I think um, something we haven't really tapped on, but obviously I think moving forward, it's sort of the future, isn't it? But um, it, I feel like in Greek sort of culture, you know, like I don't think there would have been a lot of glad wrap and a lot of, you know. No, exactly. You know? So I saw something, uh, actually I speak to the chef, there's a chef um, called Josh Fleet that I follow oh, yeah, on yeah. Instagram at yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Fleet. Fleet Restaurant. Yeah. Actually, they've turned it into something different now. Yeah, yeah. But I remember reading something about him doing um, months ago, just throwing cling film out. Yeah. And just using different methods to cover and, and wrap. And yeah, I think that's a huge, a huge game changer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, a, it's difficult, you know, like we had Mucky LeBroy on a couple of weeks ago. What he does in his life and what he can do at his restaurant are sort of two different yeah, things. You know, he feels very yeah, privileged yeah. to be able to do some of the stuff that he does in his life, but to translate that into a restaurant can be quite difficult. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's always interesting asking people what they uh, what they what they think they can do, or what you know, or you know what they might be able to do. And I, I almost want to make it a whole podcast where I get everyone's five second stint out of these to say what it, what, what are they doing? But I use those plastic lid things like that. That's like yeah, a reusable. I know you mean that. They look like, like a stretchy little tight ones. You go oh, on yeah, and you yeah, watch them. Yeah, well, there's yeah, loads yeah, yeah. of versions of those yes. that you keep, um, you know, but really it's a plastic container. But what in Greece, once again, we used to have that, you would have had the, the glass jar with the little rubber seal with the little metal bits that hold the jar shut. Yes. So we seem to have lost yeah, all that. Yeah, we definitely have. And we're just and like- And don't you think even with COVID, I mean, obviously foods, a lot of foods moved into packaging and takeaway. Oh I my can speak God. from that firsthand. So. How bad was that? And masks, you always see masks lying around. Yeah, so I yeah. think, yeah, now more than ever, it's more important, I think. Yeah, yeah I think right. it actually is a bit of a thing where, you know, like people come to the <laughs> restaurant, you know, at the end of the day, they come and they're sitting down, it's not what they're thinking about. But I think it's almost our responsibility, and same with us as a business. You know, like we do, we use heaps of that stuff, right? And we're, every week it's like, okay, how can we do better? Yeah, how, can we do better? how can we do better? Yeah, yeah. How can we do better? How can we do better? Order by the box, that's what I say. <laughs> and um, it, it's okay with, um, I think with the meat industry it's worse because you can't reuse, recycle or, yeah. and they put loads of money into getting branding and packaging and the, the correct boxes and you get these massive boxes and then that's it, you know, they disappear. We need to really think about that. But I think it's like, it is going, you know, without you know, going back, you, it's yeah. going back, you know, yeah. like we, we used to do things very, very differently. Would you do that at Suncoast or there's sort of food regulations where you just deliver everything in like crates and they're returned to the supplier? Uh, yeah, I it, know it, it's is, something that we're, it is something that we're actually in touch <coughs> with, a, with a big crate company to actually trial. But the problem is, you know, chefs are like, you guys are going to steal the crates, aren't you? For sure. <laughs> yeah, you're going to, aren't you? <laughs> Look, he's like trying not, to not answer not that question. Not me personally, but I can't ensure that they will I return. Could, I not me, but I'll probably get one of the yeah. boys to do it. Because <laughs> it's going to be on record now. I don't want to say yes and not return. Um, no, yeah. but I, I know seafood companies do that. You know yeah. you know the big Sydney yeah. fish market tubs? Everyone knows them. Yeah. Deliver the seafood in that. Take it out. Put it in your trays. Give yeah. them the tub back what, there and then. What there the, and then. What the problem is, is yeah. that, that it still doesn't stop the box. You know what I mean? It, it still doesn't stop. Like the box comes from the farm. Yeah, then we take it, it out of the box, box put it in the plastic. The box yeah. is still a problem. Where, where the problem is, you know, we like to pick up a lot of our wax boxes because we reuse them or recycle them or do something with them. But, um, yeah, we, we also, um, any, like, outside lettuce leaves or anything, we've got this bin that gets picked up by this big company and takes it away and turns yeah. it into compost properly. And, but, um, we're only talking now <laughs> about... One state in one country in one city, one uh, company. Go to Hong Kong and you want to cry. Nazi like. It's mind blowing, but yeah. yeah, it's the big issue, and we're not going to solve it today. <laughs> um, 
So when you're in Brizzy, yeah. where, where's the other? Where's a where's a cheeky place you get a nice little snack around here in West oh, End? Oh man, or? I love. I've, I've, I've where's the Euros place? Like, huh? uh, in West End. Not yeah. sure about West End, but I love going to Beccafino. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, my, it is. One of my like I, I gotta be I careful. I say, but... my wife um, after a meal there as well. Oh really? Oh, so, yeah. uh, that's a special spot, and we love the service and the food. But so I, simple. That's simple food that we're talking about. Yeah. I gotta show you. I, I text Cordell the other day, and I actually said to him, I said. Um, Amanda and I are in for dinner. This is our happy place. That's what I text Cordell, the owner of Pecafino, him and Paula. Uh, you know, it yeah, is. Yeah. It's, it's our little place that we yeah. go. And Because you know. also the, the beauty of that place, I don't know if they take reservations. Every time I've been there, there's no reservations. So you're just like, oh, yeah, let's meet at Pecafino. We yeah. don't mind waiting because the service is fast. You're not waiting very long. Yeah. And the food's on point. So and it's... I go there at like 5.30, 5.15. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because one, I want to eat early because I've got to get up early. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, any other produce stories? Tell me about any other produce, inspiring produce stories that are just blowing your mind. Any inspiring different radicchios produce. or anything over over in Greece that just blew your mind with some little grower that was like, and you we wish had, you could get it here in Australia. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you a story. So we had um, we had a chef working with us in London. Um, his name was Christos Rigas, um, really uh, Greek boy. So he worked in Athens and he came over and helped at Opso. He was with... Um, the Funky Gourmet Group. So he was working for them, but obviously their restaurant closed down and he came over to Opso London. His family actually produced beans in Calavrita. It's a small area in, in Greece. And um, we put beans on the restaurant in uh, in Opso. So Fasolio, they were braised down with tomato and vegetables. And we actually managed to source his family's beans through a purveyor in London. Um, and what his dad... <laughs> What his dad do and his family do, they actually handpick the beans and sort through them themselves. Not in his living room, but I mean on his home property. Mm. So that was a special story, being able to source his family's beans and use them in a restaurant in London. And um, they would only sell by the 20 kilo sack. They were quite expensive because you're paying for the labour and the transport. But I think that was, they had a really nice story and, and was something really special. And they were beans that you'd never tried before. Yeah, really soft and you didn't have to soak them. and. Yeah, they were, they were really, really delicious. Wow. Special, Sounds delicious. very special. What's uh, what's your favourite thing that you're cooking right now? Favourite thing that I'm cooking? That's a tough question. Yeah, I, I hate know. that question. <laughs> <laughs> you can say Greek salad, man. Uh, I've done so many versions of Greek salad, trying to perfect it. At the end of the day, you just need nice tomatoes and nice cucumbers, don't you? Yeah, yeah, that's and it. We have this nice feta on top. So. <laughs> I think but that's, that's more difficult to to do than than say, obviously. Okay, so what's the mantra that you live by or you help, you know, you inspire your staff? What do you say to them? You know, like, do you say, come on, hurry up? Or, you know, say, hey, you know, you work hard. What, what do you say? Is there anything? I think, uh, I think here in Nostromo, there's a lot of young chefs. Yeah. And I think um, the one thing that they're not taught or shown um, before they come or, what, or, you know, is tasting the food. That's a massive thing. Yeah. Tasting the food. Spoons in the section, tasting the food and keeping your section clean. If you keep your section clean, the food will be clean and you'll be organised so you can do your job more efficiently. That's a massive thing. Yeah, yeah. If people are told that when they start learning, um, yeah, you will come along and leaps and bounds. But I think as a young chef, you not only need to be told, you need to be reminded again and again. But I think my role is more of a consultant. I don't tell the chefs that, you know. Yeah, I'm yeah. here guiding the head chef and the sous chef and, yeah, yeah. and guiding the, from, a, from a more business perspective. So, But I think that's the one thing for the young chefs is, um, yeah, yeah. Taste the food, man. Because yeah. people like they cook things all every day. They cook and cook and cook and they think it's done. They finish it. They put it in a tray. They put it in the cool room. Have they tasted it? Yeah, 
Do you know what I mean? They get in, you get into a repetitive thing, but you know, especially vegetables, they're always differing in, you know, salt content, sweetness. You need to balance it out. No recipe can sort of guide that, can it? You need to taste food. Mm. I guess that's the art. That's the art of cooking. And, and that's the other thing. They're not building their palate. Yeah. They're, not, they're not developing their palate in any way if they're not tasting. Because yeah. then they, they, what about when people smoke? Does that mess up the salt levels? Because I remember people. Oh just, man, I think it does, but I can't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't smoke. So. <laughs> okay, yeah, 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 me either. Yeah. Your food must be good and clean <laughs> and beautiful. <laughs> Mate, it's a real pleasure to <clears throat> sit down and have a little chat with you. I really yeah. appreciate you coming on the, on the broadcast. The Greek Club, uh, it's an institution, really. And uh, yeah, just to reiterate that people can, you know, come here, make a booking, and um, and, and and probably you know just have a delicious meal. Yeah. Um, that's that's made with some love and from a nice clean kitchen. Yeah. Thanks very much for having me, Grant. Appreciate it. No problem at all.